Welcome to 050. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. My guest on this episode of 050 has connected fintech for the poor with cleaning up plastic trash. Plastic Bank is connecting circular economies with social justice, and they believe plastic waste could be a trillion dollar social opportunity for the planet and its people. David Katz is founder and CEO of Plastic Bank, which operates the world's largest range of stores for the poor, where everything is bought with credits generated from social plastic. David and his team have created a global network of micro-recycling markets that have empowered thousands of people to transcend poverty by protecting the planet. David, it's a huge pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to Zero Five O. Thanks, Bruce. Beautiful to be here as well. Thanks for the kind introduction. And thank you for your in from Vancouver, and thank you for doing a breakfast recording with me. Uh, it's uh, very kind of you. So it's well publicised over here, and I think over in Canada and as well is that every minute the equivalent of one truckload of plastic is dumped into the oceans every single minute, and we're getting more and more plastic in the oceans. But you say the very last thing we need to do is clean up the oceans. Why would you say that? Can you explain to the listeners? It's really no different than walking into your kitchen with a sink overflowing. Now, let's say you've been away for weeks and you come home and water seeped into the floor and into the walls and jeopardized the foundation of the home. In a panic, all you've got in front of you is a bucket, a mop, or a plunger. And you've got to choose something. Well, what is it you should do first? Let's always turn off the tap. I mean, who cares if you start cleaning up the water if the water is just continuously pouring? and jeopardizing the very foundation of your home. That's why. I love that. So how do we switch off the tap? Well, we've got to recognize the source of it. We've got to go upstream, pardon some of the puns today. But let's go upstream with it all and understand, well, where is plastic entering the ocean? Where is land-based material entering? Is it because you're using a straw in Chicago or in Vancouver? No, it's coming from areas of extreme poverty where 80% of that material is coming from areas that have no infrastructure. There's no recycling scheme, garbage trucks. I mean, they don't have food for the community. There's no education. People have never left their village. Someone's not coming around to save you. You have to save yourself in those areas. And so what do they do in those communities? They either burn it and suffer the cardiopulmonary disease that is so prevalent in the developing world, or they, or they try to discard it somehow. And most often, it's discarded in the canal, in the stream, in the latrine that then flows into the stream, into the river, into the ocean. And we've witnessed countless times people just throwing it in the river, garbage trucks backing up to the river. And so when we look at that and go, well, why, is it, why is it entering? Why are they even throwing it away? Well, to them, it's worthless. That's where I get into the conversation. If every bottle or every piece of packaging, and let's, let's create a metaphor out of bottle, and bottle being all the packaging and everything that you might see that's flowing into the ocean. If every bottle was easily exchangeable, readily exchangeable, and available to be exchanged for five pounds, five euro, five dollar, how many would we see flowing into the ocean? Well, we know none. None. 
So, so in that we can, we can extract that it has nothing to do with the plastic. We have to stop vilifying it and look inside and go, Oh, it's me. What do you know? How terrifying is that? You know, it's more terrifying for some people isn't, is the fact that they're a part of the pollution and it's not the plastic. That's even more terrifying for a lot of people. They want to point the finger outside and go, no, it's the material. It's not me. It's not the way I've been handling the material. It's not because I take a single use product and throw it away right away. No, no, no. It's the plastic. Vilify it. Yeah. So that brings us on very well to the plastic bank and what is it that you're doing and what is the solution and the problem that you're trying to fix with a plastic bank? It happens to use two of the world's great challenges to solve each other. This this area where plastic as money has the ability to end poverty or at least some of the poverty. And I don't claim to be that solution, by the way. We're a part of it. And a part of it is the advocacy of solutions and the advocacy to look for solution. You know, the, some of the challenges with environmentalists, as powerful and beautiful and heartfelt as they are, they continue to see problem where we need a world of solution right now. That's what we need. The Plastic Bank is really a global marketplace for the world's emerging, where everything in the market is available to be purchased using plastic, like school tuition and medical insurance and Wi-Fi and cooking fuel, everything that poor truly need but have always struggled to afford, now using the material resources that are readily available below their feet. Everything that they thought was waste now is worth. And in fact, it's actually always been worth. But because there was no ability to readily exchange it for worth, it was treated as waste. And is this where you get your number of a four trillion US dollar opportunity? Well, it's bigger than that. You're you're you know, this conversation that all the plastic we've ever produced, almost all of it is still here. Some of it's been recycled, but that means it's still here. Some of it was incinerated. That's true, but very, very small amounts. Uh, over 10 trillion kilograms of plastic have been produced since we've you know, begun using the material. 10 trillion. This year, even with the personal protection equipment and everything else, the world is going to use about 500 billion kilograms of material. But yeah, there's still another almost 10 billion out in the environment. We continue to make more plastic. How, how ludicrous. It's really a definition of insanity. Continuing to do what you've always done and expect a different result. It's ridiculous. And now the material today is trading at, you know, $1.50, $2 per kilo. So $2 a kilo. I mean, we could extract this maybe a $20 trillion value just in material resources, plastic material resources that are scattered in the environment. And we know it's out there because there's only sort of about 10% of it that's ever been recycled. So we know it's all there. And it's estimated that 500 billion ends extreme poverty. We've been inadvertently depositing the very value to end all suffering. So one of the problems with capitalism is that it concentrates wealth in the hands of a few. But if we've distributed trillions of dollars of worth of plastic around the planet, has it solved the distribution problem? Obviously not of the extreme wealthy, but has it solved the distribution problem in some way, shape or form because the environment in its way has spread plastic into poorer regions? That plastic can then be collected and traded for things of value. Well, you know, that's a few hour long program on its own. Bruce, but uh, 
you know, certainly being able to provide an opportunity for anyone in any region to be able to value the material resources that come into their community or into their home is what we need to be doing. And there is a paradigm that lies in all material resources that all material resources are readily available to be returned into the circular economy. You know, for us, it's not about even just, you know, creating these stores or working with the ultra poor. That's not it. It's about working with every single household. And I think if any listener here can look into the, you know, a generation and a half or two generations from now, or, or maybe, maybe far less, I would hope, let's say in 10 years or 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of the hour, 50 years, do you really think that we're still going to be taking all the material resources that come into our home and then putting them out in a bin in the curb where someone picks them up and takes them to an end of life landfill? Or, or can we really extrapolate and go, oh, of course, all material resources are going to go back into a circular economy. Of course, it's all going to be reused. Of course, we're going to live into an assist society. You know, look into a sci-fi genre where, of course, that all occurs. Of course, that's going to be occurring. Of course, it is. That's what we've started. That's the vision of what we've done. And we really began in the areas where it needed, needs it the most. And so we're really material resource recovery and reuse organization. That's what we've built for the world. That's what we've begun. We see that as being a, a trillion dollar opportunity on its own. And we're getting there. And we're beginning. And I began by being a self-funded organization and standing forward for what needed to occur because traditional capitalism has to change. For me, there's two elements of this and they just fit together so neatly is there's the one that sort of probably using all the wrong terminology. So forgive me, the, the sort of microfinance social justice element of it where you're emancipating people from extreme poverty you're not making them rich you're just getting them out of extreme poverty and then there's this materials element of it this environmental element that we're polluting the environment and ultimately the oceans but also we're wasting valuable resources and as you said at the moment there's somewhere between 150 and two dollars a kilo and there's that circular element part of it and can they work together forever? Because can we then, when we've picked up all the plastic, can we then turn into a reuse society? Or is this something that's a part of the solution that won't be around in 50 years' time? It's an abundant mindset. It's past the traditional capitalist structure that tries to extract value and return it to the very select few shareholders. How might I take from everything else and return to shareholders? That's traditional capitalism. This is a new realm, a regenerative realm of capitalism, that in regeneration, in repair, that I'm actually building even more. I'm not extracting from the natural world. I'm giving back to the natural world. I'm giving back to society. I'm building even more than what was there before. I'm building wealth for all. And if I build wealth for all, of course, I have wealth for self. And I do it in a way where everybody wants to win. So of course it makes sense. Of course traditional capitalism is emerging and evolving to be a part of this regeneration economy. We're moving away from this conversation of sustainability, where I'll do less damage than I did before, to a new generation of purpose and regeneration. It's gone away from give me what I want to support that that I believe in. And those brands that do that will win. And is that about putting nature first or people first, or do we need to put both of those as headlines? Well, I think it's putting other as first. It's this, this conversation where I don't see other as other. That's where we need to return to. Yeah. So not the self-centered pursuit of... Exactly. 
Exactly. Pursuit of some wealth or some attachment to what I think might be wealth. Thinking in my ego mind through through decades of communication and marketing that I'm not yet good enough, that my hair is not yet shiny enough. I don't have enough of a house, of a car, of a social status. I need to buy more, consume more. I don't have enough time. I'll buy quick things. I'll get caught up in the thick of thin things. Can you explain what social plastic is? Because this does, to some extent, rely on some of these bigger traditional corporations buying back the plastic to use in their products. And is that some form of contradiction to what you're trying to change? 10 trillion kilos of plastic on the earth. Imagine if we interrupt that right now. If we find some new material, some new absolutely degradable material, whatever it may be, and we devalue all the material that's already on the earth. I believe will exacerbate the problem. We're at the very precipice where we need to increase the value of the material to make it so valuable that we go and get more. Plastic's not the issue. Virgin plastic is now the issue. It's virgin plastic. We have to turn the tap off on virgin material. Why are we making any more? We need to continue to create the incentive, the infrastructure, the recycling infrastructure, the supply chain to go and collect all the material that we have and continue to reuse it. It's almost infinitely reusable. All the technology is available to return it back to virgin, whether it be paralysis, chemical recycling, or other, all of it can be reused again and again, 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 again. That's what we need to be doing. One of the problems with that is funding. Do you see there being a funding issue? Because quite often our customers say, well, we're only going to recycle if it's cheaper than incinerating or landfill. Super, that's going to be fantastic. And then they will be out of business very soon because the next generation of consumer, this regenerative society, will not be doing business with them. It's a very short-sighted. I will only do it when it's cheaper because my shareholders will be interrupted. Get out of the way. Absolutely. I love it. And social plastic, what is social plastic? It's a material whose value is transferred through the lives of the people who encounter it, whether you be rich or poor. For the first time, really, since the inception of the material, we have a new category. It's a social material. One for society, by society, by something that has been packaged with social plastic, the very material that we collect. And lives improve. Society improves. The environment improves. And so if I buy something that has social plastic printed on the back of it, this product contains social plastic, you can guarantee to me that that will have gone to improve people's lives in the environment. You can prove it yourself. You can go through, through the application. It's a banking application developed in partnership with IBM. It's a hyperledger hyper fabric blockchain application that provides all the authenticity and traceability and transparency. So you would, depending on our customer, the availability to go back and see which family collected that bottle. Wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. Because for some reason, everybody wants to, you know... Pull things apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's this sort of hypercritical world that we're in about nobody started with the climate deniers and it's continued and... It's just continued and continued and continued. And what's occurring now as well is that it, I, I can't help but feel that it is reducing those creatives, those courageous, those bold enough with an idea from starting because they're afraid that they'll be criticized, afraid that they'll be reduced. And what we need now in this knowing that the best is the enemy of the good enough, that we need people who want a good enough solution to start and iterate 
and change and grow. But it seems like anyone who even tries is vilified. How moronic. Absolutely. And it's sort of also, we, we've sort of approached climate change with a linear thinking set as well, which is we tend to have environmentalists say we need to get to net zero. Therefore, how do we start today and get there? But actually, it's going to be chaotic. We're going to go down some cul-de-sacs, some dead ends. We need to experiment. Would you agree? We have to experiment. We have to try. And who knows what else will, will, will be created? I mean, just in that thinking, imagine all of the world-changing, environmental-changing, life-changing, societal-changing ideas that died because the person who had the idea was afraid to start. I would argue far more than what we encounter in society today. Far more. And why are we, what are we afraid of? Why are we scared? I don't know. How ridiculous. Oh, it's not right. It's not good enough. Oh, it's greenwashing. It's everybody wants to be right. It's all ego mind, Bruce. Everyone wants to be right instead of happy. It's crazy. See, I was right that they were wrong. Well, do you know the damage that you inflicted in that conversation? Ah, they should have known better. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I got it. You want everything to be perfect. I got it. I understand you want things to be perfect. They should be. They should have been, but they're not. Life is not perfect. Uh, what's the biggest negative reaction to plastic bank that you've had? What's the biggest block of being? And you look like somebody who could just sort of take these in your stride. You sound like someone that can take these in your stride, but there must have been certain things that frustrated the hell out of you. The only thing that really came up, which was crazy, was, was like, oh, yeah, but, but you know, when there's no more plastic, uh, they won't have any more money to, to rely on. So funny. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But even in that conversation, you know, we're a big stand for not a world without plastic, but a world without waste. So the world without waste and our existence in communities is the, is the catalyst the very arena that the material is returned back into circularity. And as we add more value into communities, they actually buy more, want more. They're, they want to be consumers as well as they buy more. So as long as we have infrastructure and communities, it shouldn't matter how much material is moving through the society. It's all being returned. So there's always going to be a sense of money for society. That's the idea. Now, if we, you know, I see in that, that same person who, who, who wanted to vilify us for, for trying didn't understand that the world can't rely on the poorest of the poorest of the poor to save us. They think that the, those who others have, who wanted to, you know, they, they, there's a very derogatory, we don't use the word, a waste picker. They, they think that waste pickers or someone, some substandard human will go around and, and collect things. No, all, all, all of the beauty of society, all these people who don't want to be in that position that only do that because they continue to be you know, degraded, vilified in their own communities for being one that goes through materials to earn a living, barely a living, a sustenance. They think that the world should rely on them. We don't. We think that every member of every single household should look at their material a little bit differently and go, oh, you know, I make $200 a month and that's a poverty level, but uh, it's, it's livable depending where you are. I make $200 a month, but the material resources that come into my home are an extra four or three or two. Well, when I make $200 a month and there's an extra $2 in, in revenue, it's considerable. So it's about the material resources in every single household making their way back into circularity. It doesn't have to replace someone's income. We're really the Uber of recycling. We're a gig economy model. 
Sure, you know what? You just return the household material. Fantastic. You want to make some extra money? Collect it from your neighbors. Create a location at a restaurant. Create a, a location in the in the complex you live in. Build uh, extra larger volumes. Become a bit more creative and get a truck so you can become a collection location for others and build money on that total gig economy model is what we are. Uber of recycling, that's what it is. So anybody in the world can participate whenever they want. And have you got a plan to spread this to developing countries, to the West? Will it come to the UK? Even in LA, there's 70,000 people who are homeless. 70,000. Tell me how America is so rich. My goodness. Could it be everywhere and anywhere for sure? Should someone in Devon or Bristol or wherever at least have the opportunity to take their material and even if they don't need the money, transfer it into the value or transfer the value into the account of someone in the developing world to give them additional incentive for sure. And have you got plans to do that? We do. Yeah. Well, there's just so much to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's just so much to do, but that certainly is the opportunity. And even in, in Germany, where they've got the reverse vending machines, you know, this opportunity to take your material back to a machine, press a button and have the value transferred into the account of a little girl somewhere around the world. So she has access to another book or, or easier access to school tuition or whatever it may be certainly has to happen. It's a currency, Bruce. This is what, what's inside of all of this is that social plastic is money. It's money for the world. You know, and some will say because it's a Bitcoin, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a crypto. We use the blockchain, but it's, you know, we give that other additional metaphor. It's like blockchain, but for the earth. It's for the earth that every time a transaction occurs, the world gets better. Society gets better. Someone who receives an education or an opportunity for hope. And is there a way, I mean, I know you've got too much to do, so it's probably completely off your spectrum, but is there a way to use your model and your technology to support more regenerative ways of farming or protecting the water cycle, water preservation, tree planting. These are the sort of problems that are sort of ravishing the world with monoculture and deforestation and water loss. So, so much, so much has to happen. Listen, what I hold for it is a way of thinking. I create a way of thinking that with this way of thinking, this regenerative, this, this abundant way of thinking where there is value in all things, and that there's a way to look at all things and go, where is the value in that? Where is the gift in that? Let me look. What else is available? That's the thinking in it. Now, the plastic bank is just an exemplification of that thinking. So that's what I'm a stand for. That's what I'm trying to create. You know, our business is we, you know, we're 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 doing very, very well. We're we are a for-profit business as we need to be in that same realm of business that has has you know returned us here. We get to exhibit profit generation from from creating abundance in the world. And that's what I want to continue to exhibit to others, that there's always a way, there's a gift in all of it. My life is a gift. Everything that occurs inside of it is as well then a gift. Just keep looking. You don't see it yet, keep looking. There's gifts everywhere. I totally agree with that. So I definitely get the feeling from talking and reading about you, David, that you are a person on a journey rather than aiming for a particular destination. This journey of the Plastic Bank, it would be great for the listeners to understand how you got involved in this and you know what, what's the journey thus far and where do you think it's going to head? And I, I sort of intentionally don't want to talk about destinations. <laughs> well, the journey is the destination. There is no destination. The journey is the destination. It's the continuous expansive moment that I exist in. It's infinite. 
it's infinite. There's no destination. Even in the conversation that there's a, des- a, a destination reduces the infinite opportunity inside of the idea or the person. There's a lot of thinking in that. There's something bigger in that thought. Well, well we won't spend time with that. But certainly creating a regenerative business model for the world that creates a space of abundance and a new way of thinking is then the being of it all. See, it's a new way of being that we need to bring to light, a new conscious way of being that we need to bring to light. It's not a place. It's an ongoingness. I don't think ongoingness is a word, but I'm making it up. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about this new place of being that we need to be? What does that look like for listeners? Well, it's a world where they see, let's just, let's be in the conversation. Let's say for a moment that the word waste didn't exist. Do you have a bin beside you where you put things in it? Look at them differently now. There's no waste. Okay, now what is it? Oh, it's just paper. It's just plastic. It's a resource. We created through word the very existence that we're in today. Someone came up with the word waste. What waste? So we get to recreate through word a new existence. Well, we, choose, we choose those words like regenerative, abundant, and on and on. Superb. A regenerative life. Correct. And your journey to this conversation? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I grew up on the west coast of Canada. I grew up on an island and, you know, I began witnessing, you know, 35, 40 years ago, shit washing up on my beach. And it was in my mind then. It was like, oh, well, what? Hold on. At first, it was tons of fun. We would go to the beach. I don't know, for a number of years, we'd, we'd be going and like beach combing, looking to see, oh, what's come up? I did something from some ship or something or a bottle or whatever it was, wash up. What could I go find? And then there was that one day that was like, oh, hold on a second. This is just garbage. And because my soul lies there, because my place, my regenerative place is at the ocean's edge. That's where I would travel to. That's where I'd go for, for, for solace. And that very location that I would go to to find peace, find space, I began to witness. It's continuing to degrade and degrade and degrade. How rare is it for me to find a beach now that is free of debris? And so I've just been in my space for 35 years or so. And I'm an entrepreneur, and and I don't know. I even have to remove that. I think it became. I would would we term ourselves entrepreneurs, but those that that look and solve problems. I just look for solutions and things. And this is that you know I had the conversation earlier with environmentalists. Bless them, but all they do is look for problem. So what do you see? You how do you find solution when all you look for is problem? And then even in other people's givings or in their in their ideating. All you do is look for problem in them as well. Then you want to vilify them. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Well, how about yes and? Yes and we can do more. Yes and. Look for this. Yes and. What else could occur? Yes and we can include others. You see, the yes and is in itself regenerative and abundant. Yeah, but is divisive and scarce. Absolutely. And with that in mind, the regenerative organization is, I really like this as a concept because we need to move to this regenerative waste and we need to think of regenerative world. (laughs) (laughs) Bad mistake. This regenerative world. Do you have other businesses that you look to or other organizations, I should say, or cultures, definitely not just businesses that are or have been regenerative that we can get inspiration from? You know, I continue to find agriculture that's regenerative. 
I've come across a few even, you know, spirit brands that are regenerating the land that they're growing their either, you know, hops or other agriculture products. And we, we, I, I see more of it now. I see more of the conversation today. There are movements towards it. It's emerging, beginning. The conversation is coming to life. Do we need to see the large FMCGs of the world committing to that? Yes. Is it a conversation that's beginning to come around? Yes. But like plastic waste, it's too slow. It's still communicated as plastic waste. <laughs> it's still communicated that way. It's not plastic resources. It's, oh, what are we going to do anyhow? I mean, there's just so much in the conversation. And I still remain hopeful in all of it, as I have to. It's a plastic waste problem, not a plastic resource opportunity. That's exactly. What's coming up that you're most excited about, Dan? You know, we were expanding into Africa. I, mean, I was excited for the end of COVID because we want to go faster. That you know, we need to be unbridled. We need to be where we're where where we need to be. We're opening Thailand and Cameroon this year. I was supposed to be in Kenya to announce a partnership opening Kenya and Tanzania. So there's more into Southeast Asia, more into Africa. You know, that that continent, the billion people that is forgotten huge contributors to marine-based debris or environmental debris. So that has to be tackled. There's more to do there. We have all kinds of unfolding, beautiful partnerships. You know, it's been a three-and-a-half-year journey with one of the world's biggest car manufacturers. You know, People have the opportunity to choose you know, social plastic as a part of their seats. We're excited by that. There's all, all kinds of great things that are occurring in the world. And so there's, there's nothing but to be excited about. And uh, what I get to do is be that way and show up that way and choose that. And the more that I am that and choose that, the more I see it, the more that I get to exemplify it and bring it further to others. Superb. It sounds like there's a lot of super positive things going on. And if you could ask people to do just one thing to help people help the planet, what would that one thing be? I'm giving you two. Perfect. <laughs> I love guests that are disobedient. First thing I want you to recognize and know that every time you buy something, you vote for it. If you buy something that is not regenerative, if you find something that's degrading society, that's what you just created. That's all. You need to know that every time you buy something, you vote for it. That's the society and the economy that we currently live in. And you have a powerful opportunity to make that change by buying those things that will make a change. So number one, be in the awareness. Number two, when you are buying something, I want you to walk into a store your favorite store, whatever it may be in the world. And I want you to go in and ask the teller, ask the clerk, ask the manager better yet. And I want you to go in and say, Mr. Manager, you know, I love shopping in your store. I want to shop here forever. But I'm having trouble finding those things that are regenerative. Can you point out those things that are regenerative or at least, you know, recycled or came from recycled material? Because I really want to participate in change. Even if the manager looks at you and says, oh, I, what are you talking about? Which I don't think will occur because they... Or more and more products are showing up that way. But what you do is you exhibit the demand for the material because the big brands don't listen to you. They don't care about you. They care about their customer. Their customer is the retailer. This is the truth of the matter. No matter how much you want to deny it, good luck. But I'll tell you right now that the FMCGs, the manufacturers, the PNGs, the Unilevers, the retailer is their customer. You are the customer of the retailer. The retailer wants to give you what you were looking for. That's the way business is. The more that you continue to exhibit and communicate that that's what you're looking for, they will then look for that with their supplier, which are the big brands. So you get one, you know, one Carrefour, one Douglas, one anything that has thousands of locations communicating that that's what they want and change will occur. 
Continue to exhibit the change that you want to see in the world. Be the change, quoting Gandhi. Perfect. And finally, David, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. We have something called the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. It is a metaphysical place. It isn't a physical place. The sun is already in there, so it's quite warm. What would you put into the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame? You know, the, the oceans, of course, the oceans were all from the sea. It is the one place we were all from. It's one ocean. It's just getting a whole lot bigger as the Hall of Fame. The person who put a bucket of beautiful soil with microorganisms in it from a regenerative farmer is uh, going to be feeling quite dwarfed by the oceans and the sun, but that's, that's good. That is good. David, it's been absolutely amazing and super interesting having you on 050. How do people find the Plastic Bank? Oh, plasticbank.com. I don't care. I don't, you know what? Don't do that. I don't really care about that. Go ahead, find uh, plasticbank.com, blah, blah, blah. There's a million links and things. I want you to walk into a store and ask the manager for change. I want you to know how powerful you are as a consumer. I want you to know how limited you are as a soul. That if you have an idea, you get to be courageous and show up. And if you want to communicate something, find me, David at Plastic Bank. It's easy. If you have a different way of being in the world, invite your friends. Be the change that you wish to see in the world. Know how unlimited you are, how powerful you are, right where you are. All of the change that you wish to see in the world lies inside of you. No one is coming to save you. You are the savior. Thank you. What brilliant, profound words to finish on. So, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for creating the show and creating the space for the conversation to exist, Bruce. Thank you. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero-carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O. Zero five o.